welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Law, where we're sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode. good fam welcome back to value adds value my name's kyle krieger and along with my guy will we're so thrilled to have you here our apologies for not being quite as frequent with the podcast drops it is just kind of that time of school year where we've got a lot of things going on trying to wrap up the year but we are so grateful that you're here with us and listen to our friend viv elliott and um telling her story about being a professor and a parent and again we um just love being able to talk to her and i'd love the just the randomness of getting a chance to meet her so we hope you enjoyed this episode please uh check out next week's episode with our friend liz kleinrock um we're excited to share about her book but all in all we hope the end of your year is going well you know whether you've got two weeks or you got four or anywhere in between um please reach out to us uh let us know what we can do to help and also, uh, keep your heads up. We're putting a little something together for the summer, a little bit of PD on relationships. Um, we'll be letting you know more about that soon, but we hope to see you there. So thanks again for checking out this episode of Value Adds Value. Yeah, I feel like we could go on from that. But but one thing I did want to also bring up, too, is, is that when we had a talk, um, I, I think I told you that my wife and I are different politically leaning when we were talking with you, but what I loved about the, our discussion was it was, you know, so pragmatic. Like we were all kind of talking about, you know, the way things could have been done differently during the pandemic, whether it was the service industry or whether it was schools or whether it was, you know, medicine or however it worked. So I guess the kind of esoteric question I would ask you and will too, like, what do you hope are the things that we really learn like as a nation or as a society coming out of, out of the pandemic? Because when we met you, you had just come out of Austin had just come out of the deep freeze like three weeks earlier. So it Mm -hmm. was just a crazy time, but you know, maybe like a, what have you learned over this past year and, and what do you hope our society learns coming out of this time? Well, one of the things I've learned is that kids, at, as much as they say that they want specific things like online learning, as much as they say that they can handle it, they really can't and they really don't. Students don't want to do some of these classes remotely. They want the socialization Um, And they need it. And I think that was something that a lot of students were recognizing. So um, the the college in Nevada that I work for, um, I was very happy to to have an email saying, we're scaling back on remote learning and going more full force with face-to-face. And I was like, exactly. (laughs) Thank you. This is what we need. So I may not have 
a job <laughs> with them, but good for those people who are getting in the classrooms, good for those students who are making a big push to be back in the classroom, because I think there was that realization overall that remote learning has its place and it has its benefits, but it shouldn't replace traditional education. So I, I think I'm seeing that and I'm more hopeful for higher education um, you know, making a return to the classroom. So, um, so that would be one thing for me that I, that I'd seen that I was, I was, um, hoping would happen as a result of this. How about you, Will? And I think about the same. I think that you would hope that when we look back and we reflect on where we've come from, that we would create a type of system that created these alternatives because there are some kids who thrive in this environment. Um, there are some kids who this environment should not, they should not be engaged in this environment until they're 18 and they're, they're more mature to understand how to balance it. Um, there could, I see the benefit in opening up options for you know, students who maybe say, I'm, I already have a career going, you know, I, I, I'm an entrepreneur. And so I, I, I need to be away from the classroom in order to do these things. And I think we, we've learned some nuances that can enhance that. Um, and I just, you know, I would hope that we would move forward into creating a more equitable array of choices for, for both students and parents and teachers. Because even on our campus, there are some teachers who love virtual. I mean, they love managing the 148 caseload students and students popping in and having a different, they love that. More power to them. I cringe at the idea of that. Um, give me my face-to-face in, -face in person kids every single day. And again, I don't mind having the, the virtual component for, you know, have two kids who were, who were sick. One, when one who had to go out of town because their uh, family member passed away. They were able to still engage in my classroom, you know, uh, because they, and they were gone. So even though they were absent, they came back and they hadn't missed anything. So I think that there are elements of it that we can take and we can definitely make education better. And I think that K-12 has to start to reflect what the real world wants for our students. And I think that COVID, our crisis learning experience, I don't think we really got out of the crisis mode from last year, even though most people say, oh no, we were prepared. I still don't feel like we were really prepared um, because we still didn't listen to our students. You know, most of the people making the decisions and one of our big issues always is the people that's making decisions that have, have not talked during a pandemic. The people making the decisions probably don't have kids that are in the classroom during the pandemic, you know? And so when you think about it, it's like, are you really making decisions that's in the best interest of all stakeholders or just in your eyes, the ones you deem to be the most important, you know, which typically are the financial ones, you know, gotta make sure the attendance is done because that's how we get paid. You gotta make sure that this is right. You know, so we're doing all these things but again, how are we gonna morph this into something bigger and better for our future is what I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and, and, and curious enough to see what, what happens. You know, I hope it happens, but 
we know this is in this industry we're in with education it's not one that wants to change a lot yeah i think for me and it's something viv that we talked about when we met was I think with this situation, whether it was schools or whether it was lockdowns or whatever it was, for me, I hope, and I don't have a lot of faith that our political system will do this, but we talked, there was a middle ground to be had. Like there, there was a middle ground to be had on mask mandates or lockdowns or shutting down small business that didn't involve having to say, we're either going to totally locked down or we're going to stay wide open and just kind of ride or die. I, and, and we talked about the messaging behind it where it became like this political battle cry that you're, you know, if you were um, liberal, it was safety over everything. We're going to protect our people. And it, if you were conservative, it was, you're not going to take my liberties and freedom and it was really hard to cut through the noise. You like really, you know, we were talking about research, like you really had to dig to find news and information where you could make your own choice about it. And I think had our, if our political system wasn't so polarized, there could have been discussions about, okay, like here are really the people to the best of our knowledge that are in a vulnerable category. Here are the things we are all going to do to protect them, including if you are in a public place, you could wear a mask or whatever it was that you could have done better for small business. You could have done better for kids in schools. You could have done better for all of these things, but it didn't feel like there were a lot of people that wanted to really find the, you know, like you both have said the best solution in the situation. It became about one side or both sides trying to win this, this. And I was, I was watching, I was watching a documentary and I can't remember which president or vice president said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And, and that's how I kind of felt like this year went. And Will has said this a bunch of times it just happened to be a perfect storm of a very polarizing four years of the past president in an election year. And then we have George Floyd and all of that. It, it just happened to be the perfect storm of a year that, I mean, if they had said politically that one side said, craft singles were the best cheese and the other side said some other singles cheese was the best cheese it, that would have been a fight <laughs> and that's and that's really mm -hmm. where i'm at and the more we look at it you realize the system has always been this way but i my hope is that people now are going to start to see that the way, this is the way the system is and hopefully that'll change and our government will go back to, as Will always says, you know, the ideals that they strove for when they first came to light. You know, the two-party system was designed so that people on both sides got as much of what they needed as they could and gave a little bit of what they didn't need. So that's my hope. I don't necessarily have a ton of faith that that's going to happen, but that that's my hope of what comes out of this.
Well, you know, I think we need to stop politicizing things that are not political. Uh, some things are just basic human rights. Some things are just basic natural rights. Uh, I think that to have an educated populace is important for all of us. Our future doctors, our future lawyers, uh, our future, uh, I mean, healthcare workers. I mean, every industry comes through education. Every single industry comes through education. And so, you know, we say all the time that we're the 99 that drive, I mean, we're the 1% that drives the 99, uh, the teachers in America. And America really, I think, should get out of our way and let us educate. Um, our kids are hungry for, for, for education. When I was growing up, we were hungry for, for compassion and, and, and we were hungry for um, socialization so much so that out of that, you had the birth of so many gangs and the gang culture grew so fast. And people are like, well, why are they joining gangs? Because they have a sense of belonging there. They have a group of people, a community that embraces them, that shares ideals with them, that they buy into. Why can't you have build the same thing? Why can't you create a culture that makes kids want to come? You know, at my school, they laugh because I have kids who run to math class. They want to be the first one in the door. They're like, how do you get kids to run to math class? I say, because they know here they belong. And I think as educators and as a system as a whole, we have to feel that sense of belonging and we have to make sure that we are that sense of belonging for so many of our students. And it's like I say, it's just sad looking at you know, the words that I wrote down here, this prison style education system that we have. And we wonder why our prisons are so overpopulated. And we wonder why you know, there's, there's this perpetual circle that keeps going on and on and on. It's because that's what we're promoting. That's what we're propagating. Yeah, I think I think a lot of times too, people fail to realize that it does start that early. It really mm -hmm. does. So by the time they are looking at careers and where they want to go and looking to come to me in higher education as individuals who want to do something, at that point they've been again so indoctrinated with these things. And then further in the, the K through 12 um, prospect, they become boxes to check, you know, uh, things that you got to check off, stuff that you have to do, you know, and so they become these little robots that are, you know, not only are they feeling um, criminalized, like they're just, you know, that kind of thing, but then it's all about, well, what are you going to do? What did you pass? What grade did you make on, on this test? What, mm -hmm. you know, this, this whole thing, it's like they just become you know, these, you know, they're, they're so boxed in with everything, you know, where we're criminals and we're this and we're this. And so they see themselves as categories as opposed to like kids <laughs> with thoughts and, um, and ideas that, Hey, I can, you know, that I can create on my own. One of the most fascinating things to me, um, with incoming freshmen for comp one, uh, is to assign them the open topic essay. Okay, your essay, your final essay is open topic. And they're like, well, what do you mean? It's like, okay, well, open to literally anything you want to talk about. Okay, but what do you want us to write about? Okay, no, open topic. And the, you know, the, they, it, it blows their mind that they can have an original thought. 
you know, um, because they're so used to being thought of as, you know, oh, I was the, this is, you know, I voted most likely to whatever, whatever. And I made this, this on my star test and I made this, 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 and, you know, and the cop was there. And so they, they, it really is a, almost like a regime to a certain extent. So by the time they come in there, they they don't even have a thought to offer because they've been indoctrinated with so many other things that this is what they were taught to be from, you know, middle school on. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, it's very interesting. Yeah. I, and I noticed that with my eighth graders, like I, I had them do an assignment or research recently about, um, environmental problems. And I said, okay, do your research, pick an environmental problem that you think is important. And like a third of them couldn't even like comprehend that step. They're like, what do you mean an environmental problem? I'm like, what do you mean? What do I mean? Like mm-hmm. a problem that's, and they're like, well, can we do, and they had all these, like, they were like, uh, the global finance or finances or you, they offer things that had nothing to do with the environment. And I'm like, well, no, that doesn't fit the environment. You know, what does the environment mean? But you use that term box checking. And that's, that's something that we talk about all the time is how many kids are just in that mode of tell me what I need to do to get an A or tell me what I need to do to get a grade. And I've been, I've been talking with them. And I've said to them, like, just because you check these boxes on a rubric, doesn't mean that you automatically get this particular grade. You know, you have to have to do that work. And, and the more we hopefully work with them the more they they can grow out of it but then I'm always so impressed how there are still kids that are in their teens and 20s that are inventing things that are incredibly important and they they still find their way to make their contribution so I hope that 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 trend continues but I do definitely want to be respectful of your time so we have a couple more questions we want to ask so here's 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 something we see with a lot of brand new teachers because this is a podcast we really try to work with the new teachers as soon as they get out of college as soon as they get out of their undergrad they feel like as a teacher they got to move into their masters we 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 see that a lot so um as someone who's been very anti getting a master's for a long time wilkie can attest to that i'd love to hear the two of you talk a little bit about your experiences um working towards higher ed and and what advice you would give teachers who were thinking about making that choice Um, for me personally, it it comes down to what you, what you really want to do with your career. So, you know, in my undergrad, like I said, I got weeded out pretty quickly, um, but I knew I wanted to be an educator. And so what, what was that going to look like? Um, And so as I progressed uh, with my undergrad, it it just became clearer and clearer to me that at some point I was going to get my master's because I wanted to be in higher education. So I, I think there's a lot of credential inflation going on um, in this day and age. It's been it's been going on for a while. It's 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 recently I think gotten a lot worse. Um, PhD has always been a lifelong dream for me, but again, I know that I'm wired differently, and I know that I want to do different things. My goal is still to be a tenured professor at a research institution, you know, teaching and writing and reading and thinking and 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 producing. Uh, works of uh, you know scholarly works 
Um, but that's not for everybody. And I think that's a, that's something that that not only teachers, but students have to realize college is not for everybody. You know, I, God bless the Votex because we need them, you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to have a PhD to, to, to be an electrician or a plumber. Um, and so that's one thing that I think teachers also have to be aware of. It's just because you have the credentials doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you either should be doing the teaching or that education is something for you. So I always say, you know, or tell people if, if, if you want to do it then go for it, if that's your passion, um, if you need the credentials to do what your passion, where your passion's leading you by all means, but you really have to think about it. Education is a hard thing to be in. Um, it's a thankless job. It's low paying. It's, <laughs> you know, um, I get a lot of gratification out of see, seeing my students succeed, but, um, but you certainly don't have to go into crippling student loan debt to get a degree that is going to be something you either regret or you can't use because you got a degree that just wasn't for you, you know, that you thought you had to get this to do this. Um, so it really does involve a lot of self-reflection. Um, but if it's there, I say, go for it. You know, um, if, if that's where your passion is going, then you got it. You got it. What did, what did they say? Uh, follow your bliss, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and that's you know, right now I'm working on my doctorate, and a lot of the teachers in my school ask me the question, "Why would you go for your doctorate? You you say you don't want to be a principal, <clears throat> you don't want to do these things. Why are you doing it?" I say, number one, it's been a lifelong quest for, for mine. Um, when I, I think I was 12, 13 years old. And I had a conversation with my uncle, who was a doctor and a professor. Everything about what he did struck me as something that I wanted to do. And I was like, this is, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. And I never gave up on it. And when I started teaching, I came to the field late. You know, I didn't, I was in my 30s when I started teaching. So it was not something that I said, oh, right out of college, I'm going to go straight into the teaching field. I worked in corporate America. I did all these other jobs. And by the time I got to education, I finally realized this is it. If they didn't pay me, I would come here and work with kids every single day. And because that was my mantra, then my question is, this is where I need to put my education. This is where I need to invest my money because the more I learn about what's going on and how I can use it, the better I can apply it the better I can apply it, the more I can enhance students' life, the more I can enhance students' life, the better their life. You know what I mean? So it it fit into what I knew I wanted to do. I wouldn't, I told somebody asked me that they told me, well, you know, I'll just, maybe I'll just become a teacher. I say, time out. Unless you want to be a teacher, unless that's your driving force, well, you get the summers off, you get this off. I say, time out. I'm gonna tell you again, <laughs> unless you really want to be a part of changing and enhancing students' lives. Don't do it for the pay. Well, you know, it's not great. Uh, the health benefits suck. Uh, even though you say we're, we get the summer off, we really don't, because you're still, if you're, any, if you're a teacher worth your weight in anything, you're PD in during the summer. You're still growing. You're still trying to do, you know, do your best. And you're thinking about your next year's kids. So you're planning and you're strategizing. So you really don't get those breaks that you think you're getting. I say, so unless your mind is saying, this is what I want, go somewhere else. 
this is not the place to go where I'm going to go teach until I find out what I want to do. No, go do whatever you want to do until you find out you want to teach. That needs to be on a t-shirt. I, I'm glad I said that. That 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 works perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, because that used to be a whole thing. Oh, I'm going to teach until I figure out what I want to do. No, no, no. Go do what you want to do. Go, go do all that stuff and then come back, bring that experience. Let it, let it be a calling to you, a true vocation where it calls you and says, come here, do this, come here, do that. And then you don't have a choice but to do it. Then you'll complain less about the situation. You'll complain less about things because I'm doing what I love to do. You know, right. It's also one of these things too, where it's, it's not just you love doing what you're doing, but when you have the paycheck educators where it's like, you know, I'm just here to collect a paycheck. Then you do get into these bigger problems of students um, not knowing how to write an essay, not knowing what a thesis <laughs> sentence is because they know everything about their teacher's life in high school, but they know nothing about how to, how to actually communicate. And these people are getting scholarships and they're going to again, being fed this idea that, oh, I've got to go to college and do this, but it starts in the classroom with teachers who either have a passion for it or who don't. And, and, you know, it's, so, so the, you know, the credentials are there, they're neither here nor there, but if you're going to be in the classroom, I, I agree. It has to be a passion. It has to be something you're driven to do. For me, like I said, my goal is almost pipe dream at this point because tenure lines are just not, you know, the, stuff's happening with all that but it's still a dream of mine so it's still something I'm going to pursue but I know that that's what I want to do and I have a passion for it um you know you guys have a passion for K through 12 I think if your bachelor's is going to suffice let it suffice you know you don't have to get all crazy with titles and whatever um because that that may not be suited for what you guys are are doing right may not be necessary one and the thing with it too comparatively when I was in Texas, I had a really, I, there were several good opportunities that I could have done it, especially in my early career. But down there, the the pay bump is not, it takes you a long time to recoup, or at least at that time, it takes you a long time to recoup what you've spent on it. Now that I'm back in Minnesota, I mean, it is sub- substantially more beneficial to have that master's. And like, at that point, I hadn't thought about it, but that's a lot of why people around here get it. It feels like they just want that extra pay bump. And if you're, you know, you're going to teach for 20 years, you might as well just get it and then make that extra money back. And there are more, the more I talk with people like you and Will, there, there are certain things that maybe if the right opportunity were were right, I would go back and get a a master's or some further education. I think I would want to go into more of the, like public policy, more of a political master's at some point rather than an edu, you know, like a uh, master's in education. Um, so I'm not saying it's a lot more in the realm for me than it used to be. Um, it just that there would have to be some certain things that would happen for me to be able to do it. But um, yeah, Will, any uh, any follow up questions you want to hit before you bring it home with our last two questions? Oh, I just want to say thank you. Uh, it's real refreshing and kind of, you know, knowing that you're not the first person I heard to say things about higher ed and how that tenure track is kind of um, um, esoteric, so to speak, for most. Um, because it, eventually I want to take my talents to higher ed. 
uh, I want to take my experience in, in K-12 and really start to shape programs to give, provide teachers with an experience. You know, I think any, any professor who's teaching at the college level in education should do some time in the classroom still. You should volunteer, spend some time where you're in the classroom going around, substitute teach, do something to where you're still in that environment and you don't lose the everyday practicalities of the trade. You know, I don't want you teaching me welding and you haven't picked up a welding iron in 20 years. You've just been talking about it. I, I want the person who who's burnt their hand yesterday trying to do it. You know, you know, that's what I want because that's where I feel like I'm going to get the most growth from. So eventually I will get to that point. Um, I don't know how much longer I'm going to give K-12, um, but eventually I know higher ed is where I that's where I feel my calling is going next. Change now, do what I can so that I can help be a part of the bigger part of the change. Um, but again, thank you for, for taking this time out on a Saturday to, to chat with us when he told us, told me that he was, he met you during his honeymoon. First thing I laughed about was like, as teachers, we're never really off. And as, as influencers with Kyle and I, you know, it's like that, you should always leave with what you do. And when you leave with what you do, it leads you to people who are part of your tribe and who, who can add to it. So I thank you for being a part of our story now. Uh, well, thank you this. for having me. <laughs> yeah, so we only have two more questions. Um, I, I kind of, it's probably my favorite part of the podcast. Um, but imagine if there's a billboard and every teacher in the country could see it every teacher as they're going through their journey could see it. Um, what would you want, what, would, what message would you give to teachers to say, hey, teachers, this is from me. What, what would be your message to teachers that they could see every day passing through their journey? Yeah, it was, that was a really interesting question and I had to really think about that one, but ultimately it, it always comes back to my, my motto and the one thing that I, I, I always try to, not just in life, but in education, uh, see, and I, I would just put my favorite quote uh, by Albert Camus, and that is, one must imagine Cisco's happy. You know, this is a, a job where it's, it's a task just like Sisyphus, right? But in the myth of Sisyphus, Camus talks about that moment of lucidity, right? He is on the top of the rock. He's just, the rock has fallen all the way to the bottom. And on his trek down to retrieve that rock, to roll it back up the hill, that's his moment of lucidity, right? That's what makes him the absurd man, right? The absurd man says, yes, you wake up every day knowing you're going to have to roll this rock up the hill, but you do it because <laughs> it's what you love, right? So if you're a teacher, you have to imagine at some point that this thing is going to, it's going to, we do this for a reason, right? And so when he says one must imagine Sisyphus happy is that this is his fate. And at any point in time, he could walk away from it, but he doesn't. He goes back down that hill and rolls that rock right back up there, <laughs> only to see it fall right back down that hill. And so I think that there needs to be that sort of idea in educators that this is such an enormous task that we have. Um, you know, these, these kids, they're our future. 
you know, you're right. They are our future doctors. They are our future lawyers. They are our future policymakers. And I want an educated constituency for when I'm old. <laughs> you know, I really do. Um, but I, I think sometimes that task can be overwhelming. Um, but for those of us who this is our drive, this is our passion, that moment of lucidity where we become these absurd men and women that get up and do it every day because this is what we do, we need to be reminded sometimes that we that this is a happy thing, that you know, um Sisyphus ultimately is okay with his fate. Um and and that this is this is how we should go about it. Um so that that's that's one message I would like to send to them, just sort of this this like shining light, you know, don't be afraid to be happy with what you're doing because ultimately that happiness is going to come through in your classroom and it's going to, it's going to cause a level of comfort for your students. It's going to, it's going to make them, you're going to put them at ease because they know that you want to be there, right? You, you have resigned yourself to your fate and, and, and you go with it, you know? Can you say that again? Don't be afraid to be, of being happy. Yeah. You got to go into your classroom with a sense of, enthusiasm you know I don't know if you guys have ever been in a classroom where the instructor is just so overwhelmingly miserable <laughs> it it really does affect the way that student learns it also attaches a negative um, element to the subject matter um, and and we don't want kids thinking that English is run by curmudgeonly old women who don't have you know what I mean? Like we oh, don't want cat lady. have have, yeah, have the ruler lady, right? will crack crack your crack your desk with a ruler. <laughs> right. Because English is a fun thing, you know, but but when you have these teachers who are not resigned to their fate, who are not the absurd men and women who get up and do this every day because this is what they do, no matter how hard the task. Um, it, that really does come through in your teaching style and the way that the students learn and the attachment that they have to a specific um, subject. So that that would be one thing I, I would I would remind teachers of. Right, we we are the absurd man says yes. Imagine yourself happy, just like Sisyphus. So, but I I can't think of a more apt description of what it means to be a K twelve or even a higher ed teacher every day than to roll that rock up the hill, <laughs> only to watch it roll back to the bottom and you know you need to start your day there mm -hmm. but you just every day yeah you just every day you just like get used to it you're like hey this is this is this is my particular rock and i'm gonna roll this thing up the hill and that's what you do that's right. I, I love it. that i love <laughs> it and the, the, the writing the, the 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 writing english came out because i'm listening and i'm just writing because i'm a word i love words and so when you're using the words, I'm just writing them down. I'm like, yep, that's something I got to expose my kids to. Because I like to give my sixth graders quotes that challenge them to think outside of where they are. You know, and they're like, Mr. Long, why are you making this? These words don't even make sense. Well, let's dig into the words. Let's find out what the words mean. And when they're doing that, they're like, you know, one kid told me the other day, told me, I learned more about words in here than I do in, the, in, in my ELA class. And I teach math. <laughs> but like I tell them, the words that we use are, so, we have to be so particular about every word that we use because every word is a seed that you're putting out into the universe. So we have to be careful and mind our words. 
And so, because the even one kid was like, you talk so deliberate all the time. I say, because my mind is processing to make sure I use the right word to get the right reaction, to do the right thing that I need you to do. See, that's the power of words. Words make you cry, they can make you laugh, they can bring you joy, you know, they can they can change your whole mood. One person's word, let somebody cut you off on a road and pull up next to you and say, hey, that, that, that. your whole day is shot just from the word. A meaning, so, so seemingly meaningless word, but they do, they have power. And the moment we get kids and people to embrace that, oh man. I, I can tell you this week, I'm going to do an activity with that and ask my kids, which, which rock are you willing to roll up the hill every day mm. as eighth graders, as they get in? Cause this, this thing we've been talking about this year is getting kids to work hard just for the sake of working hard, like understanding the, the reward that hard work is aside from what you, you said and what, what we've been calling box checking. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is definitely something with my eighth graders that I'm going to do as they, you know, cause they're getting set to move to high school and you better, you better figure out which rock you're going to roll. That's right. I would love to hear what they say. I, I, would. I will, I will share it with you for sure. Yes. That's good. All right. So last question, last question. Years, years down the line, when it's all said and done, and there's no more writing to do, there, there's no more classes to teach, no more students to reach, what would you want your legacy to be? The, the main thing I would want former students and, and colleagues and, and peers to remember about me in the classroom or just in education in general aside from my passion um was that I just had the most fun with everything you know I, I think fun is such a missing element in the classroom and it's such a missing element in academics in general that I would want them to then take that legacy and pay it forward to somebody else, you know, because for me, writing and reading and conferencing and all of this, it may seem like just stuff you got it to get a line on a CV. And for some people it is, but for me, that stuff is fun. I'm an independent scholar and I pay to go to conferences and I pay to stay in hotels and I pay to do this because for me, learning is never ending fun. And I think that people need to be reminded that aside from everything else, we have to have fun because this is, this is our life and we get one go round and yeah, you're going to, you're going to be happy with your rock or (laughs) you're going to be miserable. And I prefer to to have fun. Um, And I think other people should as well. So. I'm also seeing Will a t-shirt with that on it. Some, some variation of, seeing someone push a rock up a hill and asking, oh, I, I love that. Push a rock. You know what's funny now is as we're wrapping this up, my, my day of outside work, it's literally snowing here. Oh, stop it. 
I know. No. But no, um, gosh, Viv, it was so nice to talk to you again. And I, like I said, it's so, it's so funny how the universe works that, you know, like I said, it was, it was a Monday and we were like the only, we were like one of the only two or three uh, condos that were rented to, to be able to have had that conversation. And now I, I, I guess I would assume Will would say that this is probably, there, there is a way somewhere down the road that we definitely would love to keep working with you and talking with you and, and, and be able to stay in touch because it's, man, it's been, it's been really, really fun and really eye opening. So yeah, we super appreciate your time. Well, thank you. Yes. Keep in touch and let me know. And I've had a lot of fun. I thank you very much for letting me nerd out and vent about my, my, my deals with academics and stuff. So I've, I've, I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey everybody. Thanks for checking out this episode with our friend Viv Elliott. Like I said, um, it's just crazy how you sometimes meet people you didn't know you needed to meet, but it really makes a huge difference. So we thank you for checking out this episode. Um, and we're really excited to share what we've got going this summer and our next episode with our friend Liz Kleinrock. So be on the lookout for both of those and, uh, you know, keep your head up, stay focused and enjoy these last three weeks with these kids and get set for your next set. But we love you. Thanks for checking it out. And we'll catch you next time on Value Adds Value.